Could you turn your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 1? I'm starting at verse 1. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Matt. I'm one of the student ministers here at church. It's great to be here with you tonight. Now, like Mike said, we're starting our series on hope this week. And I wonder for you, how have you been thinking about the concept, the idea of hope in the last little while? I think for all of us, it's been a tough couple of years, hasn't it? There's been a lot of hoping in these last few years, hoping for the future, hoping for something to change, hoping for some sort of normality to return. And yet, even after all this hoping, as we look around the world today, it still seems pretty bleak, doesn't it? Not just with COVID, but with war, with natural disaster, with suffering and hardship. Maybe for you at the moment, you're struggling to find hope in anything at all. Maybe it feels like nothing will get better anytime soon. Perhaps for lots of us, we still cling to some sort of hope, some sort of hope for a future to where it will be like it was a few years ago, where you hope that the war will end, that the pandemic will go away, where people who have lost everything will have their lives restored. But this idea of hope, well, it doesn't really instill any confidence in us, does it? Not in the way the world uses the word. We regularly use this word, we throw it around all the time, but it doesn't instill confidence in us because so many of these things that we hope for 
just don't come true. We hope for lots of things, not just to do with the major events in the world, but personal things in our lives as well. We hope for happiness, don't we? And yet, we often find it hard to find that one thing that really makes us happy. We hope for money, possessions and wealth, and yet, we never seem to have enough. We hope for purpose, and yet, can't find that feeling of fulfilment. We hope for peace and comfort and we struggle to get even close to achieving those things. You see, the hope of this world so quickly fails us as we face life's disappointments, as we have relational breakdowns and family issues, we have ill health and financial struggle. We become jaded and cynical, we stop trusting others and we lose the hope of thinking anything good can come around the corner. We just get over it, don't we? And our hope dies a slow death. This is because our hope in this world, it's based on wishful thinking. It's based on crossing fingers and touching wood. When those things that we hope for don't happen, it fails us. And in those moments, the world, it tells us to try harder, believe in yourself, despite the evidence that suggests nothing is going to change. It's a crushing hope. And it's no wonder our society is losing hope quicker than ever. Friends, I want to suggest and I want hopefully you see tonight that this idea of hope is not a biblical hope. Rather, a biblical hope is one that is alive, is a hope that is anchored both in the past, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and is anchored in the future, in the inheritance that is promised to us. It is a hope that endures suffering, rather than letting us down time and time again. How about I pray and then we'll jump in to see what the Bible has to say. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can sit under it and learn from it tonight. Lord, please grow us, please change us, please help us to love You and know You more. Help us to live for You in all that we do. In Your name, Amen. So we're having a look at the book of 1 Peter. And Peter, he's writing this, uh, this letter, he's speaking to a group of exiles, to Christians, God's people scattered across Asia Minor. And look at what he says about the hope for them. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter describes this hope firstly as a living hope. He starts by blessing God, by praising Him. Peter's joyful, he's excited, he's optimistic about this hope, isn't he? Actually, more than that, he's not just optimistic, he's confident, he's assured about this hope. It's a very different vibe than the worldly hope we just spoke about earlier, isn't it? And why does he speak like this? How can he be so assured and confident in his hope? How does he know that it's not just wishful thinking? Well, you see, it's because Peter knows Jesus. Peter has great confidence in this hope because he has seen Jesus. He knows that he is alive. He has seen him risen from the grave. You see, this hope is alive and living because it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because we have a living Lord. 
You see, if Jesus had not risen from the grave, if his bones are still buried, well, then our hopes are buried with him as well. But our hope is alive and real because Jesus is alive now. He is alive beyond doubt. Eyewitness accounts like that of Peter show that Jesus is living and therefore our hope is a living hope. Not only has Jesus been risen, but he has given us new life as well. You see, he's given us new birth. This language of new birth, it's a hopeful expression, a fresh start no matter what your past. It is being born again, given a new birth, a new spirit, a spirit that enables us to believe, a spirit that has taken us from being dead to being alive. And we read that this new birth is given to us because of His great mercy. It is a gift, His merciful gift, that makes us alive. This merciful gift is shown to us on the cross when Jesus died for us, the perfect sin-bearing death of Jesus, paying for our rebellion of God, God's wrath being poured out on Jesus instead of on us, the penalty of death dealt with. And Jesus, He confirms that He's dealt with death by rising from the dead. He defeats death, which means death has lost the battle. It lost the battle then and it's going to lose the battle again with our resurrection. Friends, we have a living hope because we have a living Lord who has made us alive. You see, if it wasn't based on God's mercy, then we would never know if we had done enough. But because it is a gift given to us in Jesus, because it is based on His work on the cross, this means we can have assurance, confidence in the hope that we have. But not only is our hope a living hope, assured because of God's mercy, but it's also anchored in the inheritance that is promised to us. As I spoke of earlier, the hope that the world offers fails, doesn't it? Because what we hope for doesn't happen. There's no certainty in the future of what we hope in. But here we see Peter speak of an inheritance that is waiting for us. This inheritance, it's our salvation, it's Peter, he pictures this salvation with the Old Testament language in mind. Because in the Old Testament, every Israelite was given their portion of land amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. It was their land to live under God's rule in God's place. And for us, this, promise is the promise, this inheritance is the promise of life eternal. It's our portion of the heavenly promised land. It captures everything from our resurrected body living in a new creation to the joy and privilege of being able to see God face to face, living in right relationship with Him. But Peter, interestingly, he describes the inheritance by what it is not. So what does he say? He says, this inheritance is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. He said it is undefiled, which means it won't be corrupted from the outside. It won't decay from the inside. And he says it's a salvation that is unfading. It doesn't rust away like the things of this world. It doesn't spoil like off milk. It's secure. It's a vault, guarded, protected. No one can steal it. No one can damage or defile it. This gift of salvation, it's the most precious gift you will ever receive. And it is in the safest hands of all. You see, God will never drop the ball. 
He will not let us down. Have a look at verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I think we trust this, don't we? We trust in God that He has the power to protect, to guard us. But I think the problem is that, yes, we trust Jesus and what He promises, but we don't trust ourselves to keep trusting, especially when suffering comes. We don't trust our capacity to endure through suffering. And that would is the right response if it is based on our efforts alone. But we see here that our faith is guarded by the power of God. No one knew this better than Peter. Peter, the guy who denies Jesus before he dies three times. I don't know him, he says. And on that very night before Peter denies him, Jesus, knowing that Peter was going to do this, he says to him in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Here is Jesus praying for his disciples, praying for those who he knows are about to compromise their faith. When they face the pressure of persecution, they are going to give in. And yet Jesus says, I have prayed to God my Father that you will not fail that He will bring you back and allow you to persevere to the end, even to the point of being able to strengthen His brothers. Friends, here is a faith that is proven, that is tested and enduring, made possible because God has got our back, even when it comes to our faith that needs to be preserved and protected. And that is why we can rejoice, even in the midst of suffering. Have a look at verse 6. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. See, the Bible does not shy away from the reality of this world. It does not try and paint a picture of heaven here on earth. No, Peter says that suffering is a part of the deal. And yet he says there is joy great joy, an inexpressible joy, a glorious joy. He's not speaking of a happiness that is dependent on our external circumstances, but he's speaking of a deep-hearted thankfulness, joy deep down in the core of our soul, a joy that can be found even in the midst of depression and anxiety through life's ups and downs. In verse 8, it's a joy that is sometimes inexpressible, one that we can only understand, only have when we have been born again, given new life because of the work of Jesus. You see, once you know how it's going to work out, once you are confident of the inheritance that is to come, when you understand that it is for your good and for God's glory in the end, well, this is then when it starts to change how we view things in our present situations. We actually start to be able to act and think differently than the world around us. We are able to be joyful even in the midst of really hard situations. Now, in 2019, I remember watching uh, the, 2000, uh, the NRL Grand Final. The mighty Sydney Roosters were taking on Canberra Raiders. 
I was very keen to watch. I actually had church that night. I was preaching, so I had to tape it and come home. And I uh, was watching the game, and I didn't know the result. Chloe had taped it for me, and she knew, but she didn't tell me. And as I watched that game, it was probably the most nervous 80 minutes of my life. Raiders were ahead nearly the whole game. I didn't know what was going to happen. It's a bit sad that actually I was nervous during that game, but that was the reality of it. You know, the highs and lows of the game when the Raiders broke through and uh, would score a try, you know, I was worried. I didn't know what was going to happen. When the Roosters dropped the ball, I thought, this is over. I didn't know what the end result would be. How much easier would have it been for me to be able to watch that game if I already knew the result? If I knew that the Roosters would hold up the trophy, would hold up the premiership glory like they did. If I had known that result, then as I watched the other team burst through and score tries, I I wouldn't have cared. If I knew the result when the Roosters made errors, I would have been fine because I knew that that was going to be the end result, the glory, the premiership trophy lifted. I knew it would all work out in the end. You see, as Christians, we can live like this, knowing the end result, having our eyes fixed on the inheritance that is promised to those who believe. Friends, we know our salvation, we know it is secure because we know our faith is guarded by a good, faithful and merciful God. But not only can we rejoice amidst this suffering, we actually see in this passage that the suffering that we face is needed to refine our faith, to show our faith as genuine. Have a look at verse 7. It says, You suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the parable of the soils, uh, but when the gospel goes out, people receive it in different ways. And one soil receives the gospel, but when persecution and suffering comes, the faith of that person is exposed as lacking faith. It fails, it, it doesn't last. But there is good soil that endures through hardship, through suffering. It perseveres and produces fruit. You see, perseverance through trials confirms the fact that we're chosen by God. It confirms that our faith is real. Peter here, he compares our faith with gold. Why does he make this comparison? Well, gold is a precious metal, just as our faith is precious. They're both long-lasting and able to be refined. You see, gold, when it's put through the fire, it's not destroyed by the fire. Rather, the fire rids the gold of its imperfections. It actually makes it a more pure substance. It makes it something better, something worth more than it was before. And just like the fire doesn't destroy the gold, our faith is not destroyed by our suffering. Rather, suffering exposes our faith for what it is. It refines it, it strengthens it, it grows it. Our faith actually needs this refinement process to grow. Man, it's tough, isn't it? That refinement process, when you're in the fire, it doesn't feel like a good thing. It doesn't feel like 
It is for our growth in that moment. It feels overwhelming and hard. But we can be confident that ultimately this suffering is for our growth. It helps our faith strengthen. And we want our faith to be strengthened, don't we? Our faith is described as precious. But I wonder how often we actually treat it in a precious way. I think more often we neglect our faith. We don't feed it. We don't feed ourselves with the Word of God. We don't remind ourselves of the assured hope that we have in Christ. Our faith is starved and it's weakened. And when it's tested, it struggles to endure. Instead of being assured of our inheritance, we let our doubts build. Instead of being prepared for the trials and temptations, we wait for them to come and then don't know how to cope when things go bad. We need to keep on strengthening our faith, reminding ourselves of the truths of the gospel. So what have we seen recapping today? We've seen that the hope of this world is hopeless, isn't it? It never delivers, it is wishful thinking, it is a hope with no guarantee. But in contrast, we've seen that a biblical hope is one that is a hope we can have full confidence in, full assurance. It is a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus, given to us in God's great mercy. It's anchored in the future, never spoiling or fading. And it endures through suffering, allowing us real joy in hardship. But what does this actually look like in our lives? Because it's easy to read this passage and hear about this hope, but how do we put flesh on it? How do we actually put it into action when we face suffering? Well, I think it's about telling ourselves a better story. It's telling ourselves the truths of the gospel that we've seen today. We need to somehow be able to stop, to pause in those moments, especially in those times of suffering, and think about what we're actually holding on to in that moment. When you face suffering and hardship, what is it that you quickly hold on to? What is it that you hope for in that moment? Do you find yourself hoping for pain to end? Hoping for something to change for some moment of relief, for something or someone in your life to make things better. Maybe you quickly hope for your own strength to be able to endure, hoping that you are able to contribute something to make a change. This is where we need to have that moment to reassess what we're hoping in and what we're hoping for. If you were here last week, Mike, he talked about putting on gospel glasses where we see the world in our lives differently because of the gospel, because of who we are in Christ. And I think this is, again, helpful for this. We need to be able to stop and think, what is it that I'm trusting in? How do I understand this life now in view of being a born-again Christian? As Christians, we have this hope, this guaranteed inheritance waiting for us. This is what we need to be focused on, reminding ourselves on. Remembering that it is a sure hope because it is based on the foundation of Jesus' death and resurrection. We need to consider what is actually going on in that moment of suffering. In that moment of suffering, it can feel like it's all falling apart, like there is no hope for us. We doubt God's goodness. We question why we're being put through this time of trial. But if we can reorient ourselves to the promises that God makes remind ourselves that we are refined by this suffering, to see that we view the world differently because we are in Christ, then we are able to have a change of perspective. 
In the last couple of weeks at home, my seven-month-old daughter, Kate, has not been sleeping well, to say the least. She's been sometimes waking up every hour through the night, and, and it's hard. Chloe and I, we, uh, we're tired. We don't know why she keeps waking up. Actually, it's really hard. It makes us angry at times, at each other and at God. Nothing we do seems to fix what we're going through. There's times where I've questioned why God hasn't answered our prayers to make Kate sleep longer. We've felt like there's no end in sight. The hope for eight hours sleep, the hope for even four hours of unbroken sleep is fading away. And yet one night last week when I was awake and praying, wondering what was going on, I had a moment of clarity where I thought, what if God is using this time of struggle in my life to help refine me, to actually help strengthen my faith, to stop me thinking that I can fix what's going on, to stop me trusting in my own strength to get me through, to reveal to me my own sin of anger and discontentment, to help grow my trust in God's sovereign plan for my life. At that time, I tried to remind myself of God's goodness to me, knowing that He is the one that strengthens and guards me, knowing that He cares for me even as I go through this trial. This shift of thinking, it it doesn't stop the hardship, it doesn't take away the suffering, but man, it certainly helps me to persevere. It helps drive me to prayer. It helps me be able to rejoice in who God is and what He has done, even in the hardness. Maybe for you, you've just been through a time of suffering. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now. Maybe suffering is just around the corner for you. I want us to be able to reflect on those times of suffering, reflect in those times of suffering about what it is we turn to in these moments. What are we seeking to hold on to to get us through? How are we understanding our life in light of who we are in Christ? We need to be anchored in the living hope that we have in Jesus, don't we? We need to be anchored in the future inheritance waiting for us in heaven. We need to be reminded even in this suffering, our joy is real because we are being refined. Our faith has been proven genuine and our hope is assured. How about I pray? Thank God for the work He does in us. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a good, merciful, loving God. Thank You that You've shown us Your love as You sent Jesus to die in our place. Well, thank You that through Jesus' death, sin has been defeated. The punishment that we deserve is no longer on us. Well, thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose to new life, defeating death, defeating Satan, showing that our hope is now living. Thank you that we too are given new life, being born again by your Spirit. Lord, we pray that this great truth of the gospel will shape our hope. Lord, thank you that we can hope in, our hope can be anchored in the secure assured inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Lord, please let this hope shape our lives, help us to view the world differently because of who we are in Christ. Help us to endure suffering, knowing 
that you are good and knowing that you use that suffering to refine us and grow us. And Lord, we ask that you will grow us to look more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.